episode of the Granite List Live. Navigating a sea of benefit solution is daunting at best, and new vendors emerge every week. Hosts Lee Dill and Sally Pace bring brokers and employers a solid resource when it comes to uncovering what's new, what's needed, and what is happening now to allow for the best plan design possible. By staying on top of trends, brokers and employers can in turn stay on top of spending while improving employee engagement and outcomes. Listen into this episode today where they welcome Michael Thompson, President and CEO of National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalition. Today we're continuing our conversation with Michael Thompson, the President and CEO of the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. He discusses the importance of whole-person care with hosts Lee and Sally. This episode is a continuation of The Big Three, what employers are focusing on now. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you may want to listen to it first and pick back up here after you're done. You talked about partnerships being, you know, they can run their course. And if an advisory group has long-standing partnerships, they're missing innovation. So just an aside, we have actually launched a marketplace that is akin to OpenTable, Verbo, um, Amazon, LinkedIn, for these solutions to come and market themselves in a free platform to brokers and employers because of that very reason that, you know, they can't, they can't get their word out. The amount of innovation in healthcare is just unbelievable. The number of new organizations coming out every year, every month that are trying to get out there. And and because there's so much of it, employers don't take people's calls, right? So they rely on intermediaries to kind of sort through for them, who should I talk to? And when those intermediaries are, quote, tied up because they have partners, you know, where are we going with this? I mean, how do we create a, a more free-flowing uh, source of information that that people can look and try things. And, and again, uh, and even some of the, the apps that kind of create marketplaces of vendors, you know, what we have found is that they have a bias towards vendors that have a lot of clients, which of course is reasonable, you know, because they tend to have people who said they're great, but where do they, how do the innovators get, get out there? How do they get their, their shot in there? And, and so I think it's a real balancing act to continue to, be aware and you know again i don't think we need to promote or reward but we need to give voice to and consider the innovators as they come out and you know for those of us who've been in the industry for many years you can you can kind of tell if there's not not whether something is going to work or not but is the story plausible does it make sense is this new is this the same thing without the track record or is this something that that my clients or my my coalition should want to know about and and what is that that that's new because sometimes they don't even realize what makes them different so i think what makes it great to be in healthcare is it's complex it's highly changing it's never boring if you get bored in healthcare you're going to get bored in everything because nobody knows it all i don't care who they are i don't care how long they've been at it and the shelf life of your knowledge is not that long. You've got to keep on your game if you're going to do your job, whether it's for your employer or for your client or for the industry. You've got to continually sharpen that saw. We have vendors as well in our audience and um, lots of new vendors who, you know, everyone that comes up with a new product thinks it, it's the next best thing since sliced bread, which is understandable. 
And there's a lot of great solutions out there, but like you said, it's hard to get through the weeds of those that have existed for a long time. So what advice would you give to these newer vendors who really do have a great solution and they've solved for something that is needed? How do they get in front of those large? You know, probably the the smartest strategic move you can do as a vendor is get a client. First sale is the hardest sale. And if you can get a client, and obviously the bigger the client, the bigger name the client, uh, I know when I'm listening to a vendor and they say, oh, and so-and-so Fortune 500 company is using us. Well, first of all, I have such great respect for the people that work at these companies that if somebody did their due diligence, which I don't have time to do, and they concluded that they should buy them, then I should at least give them the time of day and listen. And so your ticket to credibility is selling, is actually getting your first. But what do you do when you don't have your first? What do you do when you're not there? Well, then you've got to have a way to get the word out. And part of what we pride ourselves on at the National Alliance is really being open-minded to new players out there because we try to stay ahead of the curve, right? We want to know where it's going, not where it's been, right? And one of the things that I'm very aware of is that when they get kind of categorized in spreadsheet and rated, well, if you don't have clients, you don't get rated, right? And if you get categorized, it essentially saying you're like them, there's nothing new about it. And so we put more emphasis on what makes you distinctive from what's out there than where do you fit in the world that's out there, right? Focusing on more what's new than on am I one of them? Because if I'm one of them, why, do, why should I buy you versus them? They've already got clients. You don't got clients, right? So what's more important is, well, why do you exist? Because we already got them. And, and focusing on what's different and valuable. And what we try to do is then tie it into these broader themes that we think are happening in the industry, that we are promoting in the industry, and help people to see how this might fit with strategy, not just as a vendor. You know, people aren't out there buying vendors for the sake of buying vendors. In fact, they prefer to have fewer. But if they see how it connects into strategy, then I think that can be uh, valuable uh, to them. And, and the other thing I would say is, you know, we try to do it in, in, and I'm sure you do the same thing, you try to do it in snapshots, right? People aren't going to give you an hour. You're lucky to get a half hour. And and if you want them just to taste it, you got to be able to tell your story in an elevator speech in five minutes, 10 minutes, seven minutes. And that's what we look, work on with them is how to get that. The, the quick value prop out there so that they become a qualified lead that then you can tell your story in more detail. And then, of course, before it's over, they're going to put you through due diligence. You're going to have to deliver. But the question is, why should they even take the meeting? Because they, they just don't have time to take that many meetings. I love that. I love that advice. I mean, I, I swear it sounds like what we all give college students going to interview for their first job. Do your homework. You call it strategy. Know the company. Know what their values are. Know what they're trying to accomplish. In this instance, I mean, you've got an entire national alliance of employers that are following your big three strategy. I love that roadmap. Um, all right, Mike, tell us why you chose to pivot into this particular career path and what has brought you the most, um, the most fulfillment over the past couple of years in your role. Just a little bit on my background. I, I was uh, 17 years at a health plan. I'm an actuary by background. I was a chief financial officer, I was in charge of marketing, I was in charge of operations, I, a bunch of different roles, a bunch of different responsibilities at a regional and national level. 
for a health plan. And I left and I became a partner at PwC for 20 years and I was consulting. So I was advising uh, employers, but also other stakeholders. So I learned a lot in that process. But in the course of that career, including when I was back at the health plan, I always had a belief system that said employers play a huge role in influencing the healthcare system, a huge role, much bigger than I ever would have appreciated if I hadn't been there and seen it. And they, they play a role in a micro way in terms of influencing products and things like that, but in a macro way, you know, things like cost containment and managed care and consumerism and leapfrog and NCQA, all those things came about because employers made that happen. It didn't come from the industry. It came from employers. And then, of course, the industry quickly followed. And I've also had a belief that single employers can have an influence but if employers can get on the same page, they can really move change. They can execute against the industry in a, in a major way, uh, what I call a collective agenda. Uh, if everybody's saying something different, you know, IBM, GE, GM, blah, 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 you know, everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. But if they're saying the same thing, people stand up and they listen and you can move the system. And, it, you know, if you're looking in the auto industry, you know that the big three, big four are at the top of that industry and all the rest of the supply chain pays attention. In healthcare, I think employers are part of that supply chain and they're right at the top. They help to move the whole thing. So when I, you ask, I, this is a long way of telling you what attracted me to this. It wasn't for the money because I was making more money before I retired at PwC, right? But it, it's a belief that coalitions, employers banding together, working together, uh, across the country can help to facilitate meaningful change in the industry by working with our coalitions. We're the only organization that has this national regional structure across the country. All healthcare has a local flair to it, right? All health has a local flair to it. It's very unique uh, value proposition of what we do. And, and we find ourselves leading those changes, but then also being able to leverage things that are happening in different parts of the country and then being able to localize strategies because we have people on the ground across the country. And so what do I love? I love leading change. That's what I love. And, you know, we've got a, some big initiatives underway in a lot of different areas. But one of the big initiatives is around mental health and substance use, which is, of course, a hugely broken system. And we are leading a, an issue around the path forward for mental health and substance use. And, and again, it's, it's harnessing the purchasing power and the mind share of, of employers. And they're representing the, the best interests of employees and their families across the country. And little by little, you can move it. I used to tell people, you know, if you want to know where the industry is going, a lot, of, you know, when you're doing a strategic plan for a stakeholder, you're not planning for next year. You're not planning for the next three months. You're not planning for your stock price. You're trying to plan for where is the puck going to be. And I used to tell people, and I continue to tell people, if you want to know where the puck's going to be, look at what the employers are talking about right now. If you want to know where it's going to be in five years, look at what they're talking about right now. Because it may go through fits and starts, but before it's over, they're going to have influence in it, and it's going to be there. Helping to influence that future is what turns me on, so I, I really enjoy it. What are the employers talking about right now? Is it the men mental health and substance abuse seen from the... The past year? It's a crisis in access and quality in mental health and substance use, and that, that is an area that has become a top priority. I mean, when I first joined the, Co the National Alliance, 
uh, used to be the N N National Business Coalition on Health. Frankly, mental health was pretty low in the in the priorities of the coalitions. Today, it's one of the top across the country. And we know from employers that it's a top three issue for almost every company right now. And, and COVID has only made that more important. But I think the other areas that people are very concerned about is how the, uh, how the industry has evolved with consolidation, uh, the issues around transparency, consolidation, and that's leading to a lot of the policy issues. I believe if stakeholders in the marketplace uh, abuse their privilege of serving communities by overpricing and under controlling their own expenditures, um, that they need to be regulated. I mean, if you act like a monopoly, you got to be regulated like a, a utility. And uh, and there's there it's not every health system or every hospital, but it's it's prevalent enough that I think we have to start thinking more open-minded that what we call a market isn't much of a market, and we need to figure out how to have a more sustainable approach going forward. I do think affordability at its core is is critical and and again as i said before i don't think it's just affordability for employers i i think it, it's a crisis for employees and their families i i think people are not getting the care they need when they need it because of what we've done with our plan designs and i think we're going to have to build those plan designs back but more selectively and that's where i think our delivery Type strategies are. I think let's guide them to people that were that are on the team as opposed to the people that are fighting against us and moving that forward. And and again, I think the whole issue of equity and and total person health uh, that's not going away. It starts with a lens of you know it's the right thing to do, which it is. It turns out it's a smart thing to do too. That it, you get better outcomes if you think more holistically about subsets of your people and, and support them holistically. I, I know those are some of the same themes, but that's the way I think. Well, you've got a whole lot of other people thinking that, that same way, which is, is awesome because that is, um, you are, you talked about, you're getting away from the siloed approach and getting down to the total person that needs the assistance as opposed to slapping a program on everybody when three-fourths of them may not even need it. Well, you know, it's funny. We... <laughs> People say, well, we treat everybody the same. And I say, you don't treat everybody the same. Where there are disproportionate needs, you invest disproportionately. You do that today. Right. We're just saying, let's put a few more lenses on that and invest disproportionately that way too. Let's not leave people behind. Let's And, and, and let's not focus on treating everybody the same and focus more on getting to similar outcomes for people across our population. I have a, a big question that you can say in a short answer, Mike, but I just, we've talked, we've thrown a lot of big words out here, you know, regulation, affordability, transparency, ERISA, fraud, um, monopoly, and there's so many different vendors out there, and it, it's not a, really a monopoly yet, you know, you've got your bukas that are, but there's so many other players in the marketplace. It sounds like we're trying to go down the right path with those words I just used. How long do you think it's going to take us to get there? I don't think there's a there there. I think this will always evolve. I, you know, I, I've been at this industry for, God, I probably am coming up on 40 years. Uh, and it's never been a more dynamic period than it is right now. And I'm not sure that 10 years it won't be still more dynamic. I think the pace of change has been greater. The issues are more complex. Uh, we're running out of 
places to run on the old runways, right? And so we need to build some new runways to figure that out. And when after we build those runways, we'll be talking about this again in five years and ten years. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to start building now or that, that if we stay on these runways that the whole thing won't break. Uh, you know, if people want to support uh, employer-sponsored coverage, we need to work together to solve these issues because I, I honestly think we could break this camel's back if we haven't already. Um, and most of us would like to see it survive, but it it can't survive with the trends that have been going on currently. I, you know, I think what we're doing to employees is well beyond what they can afford. What people are doing to us is well beyond what we can afford and our employees can afford. And we need to get incentives aligned so that we're working on the same team towards the same goals, that sustainability. Our, our overall well-being is so intertwined with healthcare. It, it eats into everything else that we could as a society afford and do. You know, sure, of course, healthcare is important and health is important and everybody wants to get to the right outcomes in healthcare. A dollar wasted in healthcare is a dollar wasted, period. And we can do better to build a system that is more responsive to the needs and the values uh, of our society. I think that's a great, a great ending point for this. Um, Sally, I know you've got one more big question to ask. And, and we can use broad strokes with this. This is um, informational and educational. But Mike, what is your, what are you reading right now, either book or publication, that um, is industry related that you think is relevant that the audience might enjoy? What I enjoy the most is reading The Economist. And that's a little different than you, you would think I would be an addict to all these healthcare books. But a lot of times I read the healthcare books and I said, I, I've read that, I know that. And I might get a little bit and it's too much investment for that little extra that I'm getting. I'm, I talk to a lot of smart people and you know, it, uh, I feel like I'm always on my game and I'm not, I don't necessarily get it through the books. But The Economist, I find, is always interesting. And it's so fascinating to, to see how the worldview and look at other industries, too, and what's evolving in those industries. And I think it's a mistake to think that we can fix healthcare with this traditional way of looking at healthcare. I think we've got to be open minded, you know, uh, look at, you know, what happened with Uber. Who, who expected that would happen, right? Or, or, uh, or other industries that have been transformed just with a you know, Amazon with a blink of an eye and suddenly whole industries went away. Look at the video industry. I, God, I remember bringing my kids to Blockbuster and they don't even exist anymore. I mean, it's just amazing what happens in other news. Healthcare is slow in that way, but it is really complicated. And I think there's lessons to be learned by looking outside of healthcare. And I, I personally just find that publication to be so well written, so timely so interesting and and i also like hearing the views from other countries looking at us because we're fascinating people here in the united states so absolutely that brings us to the end of this episode thank you very much for your participation thanks i know thanks everybody for listening mike thank you <laughs> thank you for for walking through this with us i think your viewpoint is so valuable and valued in our network in, in particular, because we are dealing mostly with, you know, the people who are trying to get in front of your yeah, consumer, yeah. which is the, the brokers and the, and the vendors. So thank you very much for spending some time with us today. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Granite List Live. Access our entire library by visiting your favorite podcast venue or subscribe on our site, thegranitelist.live.